Knife Making Down Under is brought to you by Gamaco Artisan Supplies, a premium supplier of knife making equipment and materials and consumables in Australia. Uh, they sponsor the podcast and they also sponsor you. So throughout the podcast today, you should hear uh, some different things that you can use the Down Under 10 coupon code for on the website. So stay tuned, enjoy the podcast and uh, stay tuned for that discount code. The more you use it, the better it is for the podcast and the better it is for everybody. So by all means, uh, get into it. Thank you. All right. Go for it, mate. Uh, hang on, guys. I'm, I don't have the show notes. I don't have them all written. I love how you think there are show notes. There's no show I'm, notes. My my fucking show notes is like this thing, my fucking phone. We're not cutting this out either, by the way. This is, this is fucking for real. This is how we record. This is how we roll. See that? Well, that's in reverse. They're my show notes. Okay, a for scribble. the benefit, benefit of the viewers, Kevin is showing me a piece of paper that says episode nine. And we can't see Mert because we can't figure out how to make his camera work. So, fuck, that's how it is. That's how we roll. So, because Mert's looking for his show notes, let's get on to record episode nine of Knife Making Down Under podcast, where we talk knives and shit. So professional. Welcome to another episode of Knife Making Down Under. Episode nine, the most professional episode we ever recorded, featuring myself, Branson Eisen, Kevin Slattery of Kess Forge, and Colin the Smuggler. <laughs> How about we start with Colin? Why do hey. I call you Smuggler, Colin? Uh, I, I wouldn't have a clue because I'm 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 sweet and rosy and don't smuggle anything. No, I. Um, well, <laughs> that's not that's not what we saw on the border patrol on TV. No, I know. What was that giant white object in your backpack? It, backpack, backpack, pass it back, back, pass, back. What? What, what was that giant, white, long object in your suitcase? Well, it's like this. When I was in Norway, I was gifted a whale tooth. And, uh, well, anyway, it ended up coming home with me. And apparently that's not right. But anyway, I ended up with a whale tooth. So I uh, was the proud owner of a whale tooth until my mum st- my, my mother saw it. And then uh, she took it because, for whatever reason, my mother thought uh, a whale's tooth would go well in her collection of seashells. I see the I see the synergy, but I want my whale tooth back. <laughs> what about you, Kim? What about I haven't smuggled anything in? Yeah, <laughs> I haven't been out of the country. What are you, what are you, just house things in general? Pretty good. I'm not going to complain. Um, we've got you back on board, although we can't see you on our filming. You sound good. Don't get too close to the microphone, mate. Um, well, you just said before you recorded this is best I ever looked. Thanks. It is. <laughs> Can't complain. <laughs> nah, it's good, mate. I'm back in the workshop. I'm trying to get a, a backlog of orders done. Uh, I'm having some success, uh, you know, in, in the knife-making game. Uh, we were talking off-air, people. Uh, I had a recent change not long ago. Uh, I decided that I needed to get out of my workshop at least a couple of days a week. So I uh, went and got a part-time job which at the moment uh, I'm discovering uh, is interfering with my four years of working with my, for myself uh, way of working. And 
the two days a week that I want to work is not being two days a week at the moment and I'm struggling because, um, yeah, I've got to do stuff that other people tell me to do, when to do it and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm learning, I think, some form of patience or something. <laughs> <laughs> ah, no, it's a funny thing. We were just, having, yeah, we were having a chat, uh, particularly like Mert and I, going from full-time work to full-time knife-making how it's, a, how it's a pretty severe change. But I tell you what, Matt, you want to go back and get a job, you're going to struggle, brother. <laughs> Man, I, I don't think I can do it, to be honest. I don't think oh. I can do it. it it's, yeah, it, look, it, it's not bad, but like I said, you get in this routine of doing what you want, when you want, and all of a sudden you've, you know, you've got to be at work from eight till four and someone wants something done and you just can't do it anymore. So um, I'm learning to transition into uh, you know, a two day a week worker, but you know, it could be worse, I guess. Not sure how. <laughs> well, what, worse for them or worse for you? That's a, yeah. Oh, I, yeah you're the model employee, aren't you? I mean, you get to work on time, you do everything you're asked uh, to do. I get, I get to work early and I do everything that they expect of me in a day, mate, because you know, when you get into the workshop and you're under limited time, you know, you, you're productive. You go to work for someone else and I'm just doing some stores work and stuff like that. So, you know, it's not full on. I just want to just get out and be amongst other people. So, um, you know, I'm picking and packing stuff and it works all right. I just have a job to do. And I, at four o'clock when I finish, they basically look at you and go, put, put that down, go home. Yeah, yeah right. that's the beautiful cool. thing. All right. And I go home and then I start doing what I've got to do in the workshop for a few hours on those days. And, um, yeah, so... <clears throat> I don't mind it. I've got to just get into the routine of two days a week and let them know that my business um, has got to take a bit of a priority uh, on the other days. But, you know, you've got, you've got to be flexible to a degree. How, how so, yeah. How do you find yeah, it, Because you're in your shed pretty much. You don't run as many courses as Kev, I, I, as I understand it anyway. So you're basically in your workshop alone most of the time. How do you cope with it? Oh, look, I'm in my workshop pretty much most of the time, but now for those guys who are not in Australia, it's school holidays here. And I have my daughter at home with me. So like, I'm trying to be daddy daycare slash also knife maker. You put, a, you, play, you put a blade in the kiln when you're doing thermal cycling, run back home. Is she okay? Is she breathing? She's alive. Go back and do the first normalizing cycle. How old is she, Mert? Uh, my daughter is seven years old, acting like 17. And Mate, if, she's, if you go... you, she's old enough to hand sand, for sure. Bring her out to the shed. Give her some she's, sandpaper. Look, she's, done, she's done some epoxy work, and I've, I've gotten some pink handles for her while I was in the U.S. And, yeah, if you hear me in the middle of the conversation, I told you clean the fucking toy room. That's my daughter, okay? <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't panic. I threatened her with burning her toys in the forge. <laughs> So if you hear, if you hear me screaming that meat recording, it's all good. Okay, don't don't call child protective services. She's fine. She's not hurt. It's it's just it's just how things are done in Turkey, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna sound like an old fart, but this this young damn generation, man. Like I remember, we were told once, and you do it. You you tell these kids, and she looks in the eye like, I dare you. I'm like, oh, my man. Hey, when when we were at your place for that hammering, we witnessed that. 
Yeah. <laughs> we witnessed Mert asking the kids to do stuff and they just gave him the look like, fuck off. <laughs> my mum said to me at the table, eat your rice. And, and my brother had told me how they make rice yellow. So it was saffron rice. And he told me they, you know, they made rice yellow by cooking it in urine and that's how you made yellow rice. <laughs> and I wasn't going to eat it. And mum was like, you got to eat your rice. And I didn't eat it. Anyway, she ended up pinning me to the floor and trying to force it down my throat, holding my nose. That's the old school, Mert. That's, that's the way it was done back then. They don't know how good they've got it, Mert. I don't see a problem with your mother's method. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I grew up all right. Nothing wrong with me. <laughs> uh, look, to, so back, back to the subject, how do I deal with uh, being full-time in the shed is, so in my old job as my chef days, I used to have people in the kitchen. You talk to people, you know, like you're having, you're interacting with the guests, you're interacting with your servers and your cooks and all that management. Yeah, I've seen Gordon yeah. Ramsay. I've seen that. Come on, you! <laughs> not like that. <laughs> not not like that. Yeah, like I wasn't a screamer in the kitchen. I just, yeah. Just I was the a bedroom. Kind of <laughs> no, I was a different kind of asshole. Anyway, now in the shed, like it's good. Like when your first six months, like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing the stuff that, Oh, I'm in the shed. Like, oh, I don't have to go to work. And after a while, you're starting to get cabin fever because you're not talking to anybody. And you're starting to, like, think, like, you're in, your mental health is getting challenged because you're not talking to anybody. You're not sharing anything. You know, like, sometimes you go to work and according, somebody may say, hey, boss, you look you look awful. Like, what's wrong with you? And you're like, oh, I had a shit weekend. And me and Kev, we don't get to have that. Like, you, you break a knife, or you break something, you just turn around and... <clears throat> take a deep breath and sh- scream as loud as you can till the neighbors saying, oh, this is the 10th time the guy said fuck. And just turn around and keep keep doing what you're doing. You don't get the, you don't get the vent. You don't get the, you don't get like free your mind. You just keep working, keep doing the same thing. Yeah. So it's a lot you know, of people who, go ahead, Kev. I was going to say, you know, it gets bad when Jehovah's Witnesses no longer knock on your door because you invite them in. <laughs> And don't let them out again. <laughs> I invited one the other day, and the guy said, "I've never gotten this far. I don't know what to do." <laughs> they go to me, "Can we tell, talk to you about Jesus?" And I go, "Yeah, but after I talk to you about the thermal cycling I'm doing on my W two knives at the moment, <laughs> and then they they glaze over and try and get to the door, and I get bolted." <laughs> this is get our most dog. professional. This is our most professional episode ever. <laughs> Yeah, coping coping with full-time knife making. Uh, anyone listening to this will obviously decide they need a career change if they're thinking of full-time knife making. It does send you a little bit bonkers. It's got to have its benefits, though. Surely you get up in the morning and uh, get to go and do what you used to love. Oh, yeah, absolutely, mate. We joke about yeah, it. Yeah, I'm going to disagree on that, Corin. Yeah. Okay, so for those... For those who don't know me, like I was a chef before, but before chefing, I was playing basketball for a living. That was the thing that I was going to do. And as a kid, I loved playing basketball. It was fun. I played every day. I played every night. I worked I, in the summers while my friends are going to summers. I was training. I was training day and night. And then I started getting better. And I was, when I was 16, I was training with the professional team. And that was what I wanted to do. But at one point, something that I loved, something that was my hobby, my passion became a job. So when you missed a shot, 
oh shit, it didn't make it, was bad job performance. So it started killing the joy. I played, I played. I played till I was 22. I played in the college. I played in the second league or divisional league, but it wasn't fun. I hated it. I loved playing basketball. I, I hated it that it was turning to my job. I've done the same mistake with the cooking. Yes, cooking was fun. It became job and I wasn't enjoying cooking as much because I wasn't cooking for fun. I was cooking because I had to feed a lot of people. And the same thing is can be valid for knife making. It's a, if it's giving you relief from your day job or if it's making you happy, keep doing it. But when it becomes a job, a lot of things change. You don't get the fuck up. And that fun, that dream, that passion changes whatever regardless of whatever you're doing i mean that is one aspect of it but you've got to you've then actually got to step back every now and then and just go fuck it i'm making something for fun you know don't have a customer don't have an order don't make the 240 gyuto thing that you do all the time just make a fucking knife put stuff on it that you want to put on it and then see how you go Mert, you so said... just every now and then yeah every now and then you got to do something fun Mert, you said to me you disagree but I think if you go back and listen, I said every morning you get up, you get to get up and do what you used to love. I said it in the ah, past yes, tense. Yes, so yes, true. You used to. <laughs> yes, I, I think I, I think we actually agree. <laughs> yes, yeah. definitely right on that. I, I missed that used to part. Yeah, it's a when it becomes so, a job. So, so we so we can add out the last fucking five minutes of you. Brian, then. As if that's good. I tell you, I, I can tell that you used to play basketball professionally, Mert, because you fucking still dribble pretty well. <laughs> <laughs> well. He can. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, can you tell that I'm... Can you tell that I miss you guys? <laughs> I miss you guys. <laughs> well, look, we, we had the podcast for a long time, and I was getting I was getting DMs like from people like addicted. Hey, man, you got podcast coming? Another episode? Come on, like a zombie, some addicted people hitting me up for the podcast. Stuart, uh, Stuart Anthony Smith. Yeah, I think that was him. Yeah, yeah. He's been messaging me every other day. Um, When's the next podcast coming? So that's a viewer question. When's the next podcast coming? Well, actually, we're going to release one today, but it won't be this one. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't even fucking go back and find it. Anyway, whoever it is, I get the same thing. Yeah, yep. I've had people asking if you, me, and Cora, uh, all of us have had a fight and whether we're no longer doing it again. I'm like, just listen to us talk on the podcast. I don't think if we have a fight, it's going to be any worse. <laughs> <laughs> And we clearly said that, Corinne, that you're going to go to like the Europe tour, and yeah. we might be a dim. There might be a delay. Like, maybe our listeners are just dim. No, how could they be if they like listening to us? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't know. No, no seriously though, that's I... good. The, the nice thing, yeah. Seriously though, the nice thing is, um, at least it's an indication from a handful of people that they like what we talk about and how we do it. So. <clears throat> It's good. It's good feedback. I'm feeling the love. I'm feeling the love. <laughs> Don't forget, guys, that this podcast is brought to you by Gamaco Artisan Supplies. We have our discount code there, our coupon code. When it, Use it whenever you buy. It's down under 10, and it'll get you 10% off all Dharma Steel products, including the fantastic steel RWL34. Dharma Steel is the premium Damascus 
uh, steel made from powder metallurgy technology. It is a very high performer and looks great too. So yeah, if you want the very best Damascus steel that's not going to rust but going to perform like carbon steel, then uh, Dharma Steel is your friend. Uh, and you can get it with 10% off with that discount code. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. So now, now I reckon that we, you know, hold hands and sing Kumbaya, and then we get onto a little bit of knife making talk yeah, and shit. Yeah, that's what we're here shit. to do. Talking shit. So, Karen, you were saying you've made a modification in your workshop recently. Yeah, well, I just let got us back. know what you've I done. I got back on Monday. It's Wednesday now, for the benefit of those. Got back on Monday, and yesterday was my birthday, and uh, I decided to go out to my shed because it's the one day of the year that no one can whinge at me for doing what the fuck I want to do. And I went out to the shed. Uh, thank you very much. I went, uh, I went out to the shed and um, put a foot switch on my uh, on my VFD that runs the disc sander because now that I know how to use a disc sander, everyone's telling me that I need a foot switch. I know Kev doesn't run one, but the guys in the states do, and they reckon it's the duck's nuts. So I just got bits and pieces from my collection of bits and pieces, which Kev is fairly extensive. And um, yes. <laughs> And found everything I needed in my shed and put it together. It worked well. Program. I'm going to check that out. Wiring it up. I'm going to I'm going to check that out when we come up for that KAA meeting and 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 I'm going to do the same thing because I said yeah using using the foot pedal uh, in the US was cool. I mean they got it on everything. They've got it on their fucking bandsaws, um, their discs. Probably got it on their fucking drills. Everything. They just love foot pedals. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No comment. Anyway. So. <laughs> is what it is uh so yeah that's that's pretty much it i'm still jet lagged to, to fuck because on account of i'm jet lagged but um yeah <clears throat> other than that i haven't done i haven't done too much to be honest i sent some i sent some steel uh, some blocks of australian wooden some t-shirts to the guys i met over in uh some of the guys i met over in uh europe so that was all right but other than that that's it wouldn't it be funny if they had troubles with um, customs at their end. Yeah, oh, they're strict, man. <laughs> they're not strict. You go into Sweden airport, like, no fucking shit. It's the only airport in the world. I've pulled my passport out, walked through, you know, out past baggage claim onto the fucking street. There's nobody there. They didn't even, there's no, there's no customs, there's no border, there's no fucking nothing. You just walk in. They're too angry to talk to people. I don't understand why people bother. <laughs> yeah, well, actually... <laughs> they probably don't want that level of social interaction funny people yeah. I mean, you know they're lovely people but you know yeah it's a it's a different sort of culture it's very different to australia if you if you walk up to someone in the street and and they'll be looking at their feet they'll be trying to avoid eye contact and you smile and say g'day how you going um you do get some funny looks yeah anyway what have you been doing what have you been doing in your workshop mate oh man um uh... I'm having troubles lately deciding, like, I feel like I'm a lady at shopping. Like, I'm looking at my handle material. I can't make my damn mind up. I'm looking at it. Oh, this looks good. I'm not sure about that. Like, just in front of my timber stash, just looking. Can't make my fucking mind up to make a handle. Oh, I, then I, like, square blocks. I put it right next to each other. I don't know. Hmm. Let me just check. Then... I just feel like just just fucking do it. Just make a handle. Just make a handle and get on with that. But yeah, I've been I've been struggling to finish knives. I have probably three hand sanded knives done, shoulders cut. All I have to do is just put a handle. 
But no, I've never handled. Do I'm just guys, looking around. Do you guys ever go through that feeling that, like, you pick up a bit of wood and you think, fuck, that's so nice. I can't use that. I'm not going to do it justice. Do you ever have that one? Yeah, I've got, like, two tubs of timber in the workshop <laughs> that I haven't touched yet because I think they're too nice. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I, bought them, I bought them about five years ago and I still don't think I'm good enough to use them. <laughs> It's funny, isn't it? It's funny. I, I do that all the time and I ended up, well, you know, I only make a knife a year, so it's not like I'm going to run out anytime soon. But I've got, I have wood in my collection there that I just look at and think, oh, that's too good. I'm going to save that for the right project. I'm going to be dead. I should fucking use it. Like, get, we can buy more wood, Mert. Just fucking use it. How many how many timber blocks do you have, Corin? Oh, don't ask, Mert. Don't embarrass me. There's a, so a if you make 20, if, you, <laughs> if you make two knives a year... If you got 20, that's like 10 years worth of... <laughs> Kev's seen it. Is it you, did, you, did I pull out my timber stash while you were there? No, because I would have stolen half of yeah, it. Yeah, that's true too. Known. I wouldn't have fucking... You wouldn't, you wouldn't have known for eight months until that. you had to pick the next block out. <laughs> no, I, it's it's just one of those big plastic storage tubs and it's full to the point where I can't close it. So, I've yeah, I've, I've actually kind of started to weed some of them out, but yeah. Yeah. How much do you have, Kev? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I've got, uh, look, I've got about 50 blocks of stabilised timber that's sitting in the workshop in a pigeonhole. I've got a drawer that's probably got 40 blocks of really nice Gigi that I've, I've got off Peter Cheel. Uh, I've got another drawer hidden away somewhere that's probably got another 30 or 40 blocks of really nice stuff. The student drawer has about 40 blocks of um, stabilised timbers. But then you got to go down to my garage where I have um, like industrial shelving with tubs of handle material still in there. And then I've got literally hundreds of kilos of Berlin shit sitting on my floor in my garage to cut up and stabilise. So I have a problem. I really do. I can't call it a... I can't call it a collection anymore because it's gone beyond a collection. And, you know, I quite often get asked by people, uh, why do I give students stabilised timber um, on my courses? And if they're anywhere near my house, I say, well, have a look at this. And I show them a few of the drawers and they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. Can I have a piece? And I'm like, no way, man, I'm saving it. <laughs> <laughs> but stabilised yeah, timber. Yeah, I, my stable, yeah. yeah, my stabilising kit runs like when it's not in the soak soak mode. Obviously, the the pump's running all the time. I have like thirty or forty blocks of stabilising running all the freaking time. It's a problem, I know, but um, it's just a it's a side side thing to the knife making as well. And do I want to sell any of it? No, so don't ask. <laughs> Come to my house, and I might give you a piece, maybe. Stabilised wood is um, such a big difference, though, on a, on a knife, just being able to have it sealed and, and know that it's right. Like, I've used I've used unstabilised bog oak and unstabilised timbers in my early days, and, you know, I'd, I regret it. I mean, once, you, once you've used it, you don't go back, eh? Yeah, because the finish you can get on yeah, it as especially well. Especially with is... the burrs. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so, some of, the, like, the hardwood timbers, like Green Gigi, African Blackwood... Arizona ironwood, they're okay, but once you use barrels, no way I will touch it. Even like hardwood, Australian barrels, like some of the Mali barrel, they look great, but 
they don't have the same same strength as like the straight grain timber. And without stabilizing, I wouldn't go near them. How do you go with chef knives and stabilizing mert? Do you have to stabilize all timber on a chef knife or it doesn't matter? So if you're thinking about a heavy use knife, stabilized might be a plus, although I rate the hardwoods like the ironwood, PG, <coughs> and African blackwood better than the stabilized stuff. The reason that you stabilize those timbers are they are not dense enough to begin with. You're stabilizing it. Mm. But yeah. if you, my my everyday kitchen knives in back when I was cooking, the handles were Gigi. And I had my butchering knives in Gigi handles and they were getting covered in blood and grease and all that, but they still provide the grip and they still cleaned easy and they were still nice to hold. They still have a nice warmth to hold and they were beautiful. When if you're getting like a maple bird or something with the dye, yeah, it's going to look nice, but overuse in the kitchen, that pink is going to turn into shit brown in no time. So I'm, I'm not a big, I'm, I'm more a fan of our hardwoods. That's good. That's interesting to hear. I mean, obviously, um, there'll be a lot of our listeners with their ears pricking up at the moment saying, you know, he's, he's one of the better makers in Australia for chef knives and also former head chef saying that a plain piece of Gigi is okay on a handle for a chef knife. That's awesome. It's, it's more than okay. Yeah. And again, it all comes to maintenance. Like you can have a, you can have a full steel handle. Uh, some, some of the argument for some of the pro chefs back in the day was like, oh, this is a wood handle. You cannot use it. And in the same time, you're looking at these plastic handles and I can tell looking at the <laughs> blade what they cut all day. Uh, there's a little bit of potato peel. You cut some yeah. potatoes. There's the pepperoni and a little bit of red sauce. Yeah, you cut a pizza. And here, oh, there's a little strawberry stain. It's all comes to maintain maintenance. Like people taking care of their tools, taking pride in their tools. Yes, my my knives had patina because they had, they were carbon, but my knives were always cleaner than the most of the apprentices' knives. Yeah. Hey, I got a I got a question for you then, Matt, because yeah, man? uh, it relates to an order that I'm going to be doing for someone. They're a former chef from a long while ago. Yeah. Um, and they're talking to me about my knives and stuff. And they're insistent that the knife needs to be full tang. Uh, can't can't have a hidden tang knife. And when I spoke to them, I you know I, I talked to them about um, how long ago they used knives, and they said, oh, the handles always fell off. And obviously it was commercial knives they were using. So I've tried to convince them that um, a hidden tang knife that I make them will be as good as a full tang knife that they bought 15 years ago when they were chefing. Well. So most of these production hidden tang knives with the plastic handles, the tang is about like three centimeter long. And yeah. it's a, and they put the knife in a mold. It's just the tang is sticking out with the, some kind of plastic, molten plastic goes in there and sets. And they have no structural strength other than just the plastic being stuck into it. And yes, people got, and old school chefs were crazy about their full tang knives. But if you look at it, Full tank knives will have more chance of losing the handle or having a problem yeah. with the handle because the joint that has a glue on or the, the surface area that where moisture can trap in between the handle is so big. Like around the whole tank, there's an area that's waiting to get the moisture in. With the hidden tank handle, okay, most of your tank is actually goes like to eight or ten centimeters deep. 
And again, only part that you have to worry about is, is entrance at the tank slot. If that tank yeah. slot is tight fit and the epoxy is in there, it's not going to water go there. It's waterproof. And if you're thinking that's not that's not good enough, like if you're thinking about hammering your handle, you're in the wrong business. Yeah, so they are kitchen knives. I, I was heavily involved in the bushcraft industry, and we had the full tang, hidden tang debate come up all the time, and people rave on about um, how much stronger a full tang knife is, and it, it was never proven by anyone. Anybody that did snap tests, the blade always snapped at about the same point. Uh, it didn't snap in the handle. Um, it just didn't happen. So, and not only that, if you look through history, just about every sword ever made was a hidden tang. So, you know, wake up yourselves. Yeah, I, I told I had a good chat to the customer and just said, look, I'll like any of my knives, I'll guarantee it for life. If the handle falls apart, it's most likely there's going to be have been a flaw in the timber, which you know I don't use most of those timbers anymore. Like Mel was saying, the spaltedy um, stuff that just you know seems to have issues with it. I use the gidges and the nice hardwoods on it. So I told the customer I'd guarantee it for life. Um, if it's something happened with it, I'll just replace it and I'll put a different piece of timber on it or something like that. And they were happy in the end with how I spoke to them, but it's obviously just, you know, when you're trying to deal with the customer and they say the customer's always right, um, that's not always the case, especially when you're the expert in the field. You've got to let them know things about changes. The epoxies these days are, you know, from 15 years ago are a hundred times better anyway. And one, one thing that you said is very important, Cam. You said warranty. So when you talk about the, when people see as like a sole trader, like a one person standing behind the knives, like they're looking for like a warranty paper or something that some of these knives come with. Back in the day, one of the biggest plus for those commercial shoe knives were, oh, they have this lifetime warranty. If you mess it up, they'll they'll replace it or they'll do something. And that, that became a selling point compared to most of the German knives. And But if you send a knife back, they'll find anything why it's not their fault okay? yep. versus a, a maker, a custom maker like yourself or myself. We always stand behind our products as long as we're capable of making knives. So yep. people don't, don't, are not aware of this. Absolutely. So, I mean, in your marketing, if you're selling of your knives, you can include it in there. I, I always tell my customers um, when they're putting an order in that I'll back it for the life of, either the knife or me, whoever whoever goes first. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things. I've had a couple come back where um, there's been issues, especially with Timber earlier on, earlier on in the making game. Uh, the blades and everything look awesome. Something's happened with the Timber. I had a piece of that bloody um, flame box elder. It had a floor in the back of the handle and it snapped when the guy was using it. And he was, he was a good customer, so I just said to him, just send it back. Um, and I actually gave him the option. I said, I've got one more piece of that timber sitting here if you want to run the gauntlet with it, or I'll chuck a nice piece of Gigi on there. And he opted to go for the flame box elder. So knowing that he had a fault with it already, I've chucked another piece on there and I'll just, you know, pack it up and send it up to him. And uh, hopefully he'll be um, as stoked as he was with the first time it came. Yeah, absolutely. Your warranty card is your name on the blade, isn't it? That's, a, that, that's your warranty that's it. card. Yeah, believe it or not, there are um, makers. There are makers out there who don't stand by their don't stand by their knives. Though I've seen it, so yeah, yeah. it's not not everybody. 
Yeah, well, and the good thing is, you know that that knife is made by Kevin. So he did not, like, he, he selected the steel, he forged the steel, he heat treated it, he ground it. Everything is made by him. Yep. So when you buy a lot of those, like, in the kitchen scene, everybody's in the Japanese knives, and you don't know who forged the blade. You're speculating who ground it, where the handle came from. It's a mixed mush of, like, collection of people doing it. And if something is wrong, what do you do? Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Who do you run to? Oh, often it's as long as often it's machines doing the grinding and stuff. It's there's a lot of machine processes in some of those knives. I was looking at Mora knives. Uh, they've got a machine there that can grind like something like eight thousand knives a day or something. It's a it's a robotic arm. It's really very cool. But uh, yeah, they um, took our jobs. What was that? <laughs> They took our jobs. <laughs> they took our jobs. The robots. <coughs> Another word from our sponsor, Gamaco Artisan Supplies. You can use the down under 10 coupon code to purchase any Norton product. So Norton Blaze, Norton Norox, Norax belts. Uh, those belts are fantastic belts. The best in the industry as reviewed by many. And uh, uh, with the 10% extra discount code, uh, as well as the 23% off for buying in bulk, that is very, very good value. So jump in and use that discount code. The more you use it, the better it is, the better the, the, that we can, um, we can build this podcast. So, uh, yeah, get into it. Thank you. So, yeah. Oh, happy days. And... Moving right along, we got any tips and tricks this week, or got any viewer questions? Does anybody ever ask I us anything that that we we ever put to air? Uh, I had a question from a gentleman, JDC underscore eighty six. He's asking about what we do preheat treatment, like what steps we do preheat treatment. What we do preheating? Well, to me, I I would get the knife blank ground as close as possible to final form i'm normally working stainless steel so i will go i will go much finer than um you would if you were just heat treating carbon steels and i'll, I'll go into a foil wrap and um uh, save just just hand finishing there's a lot of comment about stress rises and things um i don't think you, you need to be too worried about that if you're on point with your quench temperatures and your quenching medium um if you if you're off off target with your quenching medium or your uh, uh your temps then the, the need for having being worried about stress rises is a bigger issue which is a point where a, a crack can start so you hear people say oh you've got to get it to a fine a fine finish so that you don't have any deep scratches or anything like that uh, maybe i'm wrong there but i haven't had any problems so i'm going with what i do but Corey, the blades you're doing they're relatively small in size correct oh well yeah to be fair I, yeah very rarely over 12 yeah. centimeters i um i have made bigger not... blades the last big blade i made was uh, about 400 <coughs> and that was last year with my brother in forged um uh, sup nine but yeah basically yes mert okay what about you care what do you do carbon or stainless uh, mostly carbon, mate, for me. Okay. Um, I will, obviously, I forge, um, like, probably 95% of my knives are forged. I don't very often do stock removal. Um, so, obviously, after the forging, they go through the thermal cycle process for the normalising and annealing. 
Um, and then when I'm actually into doing my um, blade work, I say on a, let's say on a five inch hunter, I will grind the profile, grind the blade so that the edge is about a millimeter thick. Um, I've taken to a process, I used to do it 50 grit and then 100 grit uh, on the um, blaze belts and then heat treat. I'd run the spine of the blade and the edge of the blade um, vertical uh, on the belt so that the, the scratch marks effectively were running opposite to what was on the side of the blade. But lately I've just taken to um, giving them a really quick whip with... <coughs> Um, oh, Gesundheit. Um, really quick whip over with 180 grit on the disc grinder. Um, and then, then I heat treat them. So they're, they're a mil thick on the edge, at least around that, somewhere between 0.8 and 1 mil. Um, and then I heat treat there. But as Corin was just saying, one of the key things, it's all fine and true to have that point done, but you've got to make sure your oil's warm and that you're quenching in the right um, medium for the right steel. If you do all that work and then you stick your 1075 blade in water, chances are that thing's going to snap in half. So, you know, yeah. good luck if you get one out of there. We had it, uh, we had it happen on Facebook some time ago that uh, a guy got on there and he was showing his cracked blades. And we've all seen it on social media. People put up their cracked <clears> blades. And this was real early on, say 2014, 15, when things were, were kind of expanding very rapidly. And there was really you know 30 or 40 very helpful comments and there was the stress riser one and there was all these things that he should have been doing and i said hang on what's the steel oh sup nine what'd you 5160 it was because that's what we had at the time and he and i said and what did you quench in and he said water and i said well there's your fucking problem <laughs> right <laughs> and and the amount of times that people give advice on cracked blades, and there was one just the other day, Kev, on one of your posts. I, I can read it. There was one on one I've of got yours. It. I've, actually, I've got it here. <laughs> people give advice. That, people oh. give advice. I thought it was a cake recipe. You cook it for one hour. I'm like, what? What the, what the fuck, right? <laughs> people give advice, and they clearly don't have any understanding of the importance of the right quench media to match the steel from the right temperature those three things are key and if you can't if you don't know those three things you can't really identify anything else it's not worth worrying about anything else those are the three yeah. things to look at you got it there Ken? For the, yeah for the real new makers out there there's generally what we refer to as a heat treat recipe supplied to you by the manufacturer of that particular piece of steel my advice follow that don't fucking listen to the, all the jokers that tell you otherwise these Companies spend a lot of fucking money getting this steel done. Go with what they've got. Have issues with it that way. Then look at what's going on. So but this, this particular this particular guy, um, I, I won't go into who. <coughs> People will know. They'll go and see this. Thing. They'll find it on Facebook. But the guy was quenching a couple of blades in W two, and they had cracks. And you know, I, I put in my two bob with things like um, how thick was your steel when you quenched it. How, what quench medium did you use? Simple questions to try and, you know, promote them into this thing. And you get these guys that obviously don't read um, what steel it is, or they don't understand that you're buying these bars of steel as is from the manufacturers, W2 tool steel. And the guy, the, well, the person, I won't say the guy, the person 
responded to the W2 cracked blade incident with this. Carbon content may be too high, exclamation mark. Increase in manganese may help, but that is hard to do. Then this was the part which I read and was scratching my fucking head about. That's not written there, but this is um, try reheat, uh, try reheat treat at around 600, hold for an hour, slow cool and quenching oil and then temper. And then if the material is brittle by composition, there won't be much you can do apart from heat and refining by working the grain structure to something that can work. That's like, mate, what the actual fuck? I sent that to Mert going, what the fuck? And then Karen sent it to me going, <laughs> what the fuck? Um, and I'm sure that there, there were a lot of people that read this post, they're going to be laughing right at this moment, that were saying that exact same thing. They're looking at this going, holy shit, I want to go and um, heat treat my next fucking <laughs> W2 knife at 600, hold it for an hour, let it slowly cool and quench it in oil. Well, that doesn't say how far to cool it before you quench it in oil. So it and, might and be 200 degrees. What sort of oil? I mean, it's W2. It's got to be fairly fast. <laughs> if you break this down, right, carbon content oh. may be too high. Well, it's W2. So we know the carbon contents within an acceptable range, which in W2 is huge, something like 0.7 to 1.5 or something. It's a massive range in W2 where it could be. Yeah. Um, increase in manganese may help. Increase in manganese improves through hardening. How are you going to get manganese into hang on. the I'm showing you. I'm showing you how I'm increasing manganese. Hang mm-hmm. on. Okay. Can't see you. <laughs> okay. I'm, I'm holding my hands like a salt bay and I'm sprinkling some manganese. <laughs> <laughs> manganese bay. So you're not going to get manganese into solution. But if you did, it would make it a through-hardening steel or more through-hardening. It's no good for a harmon. W2 is deliberately low manganese, low chromium, because those two alloying elements uh, promote through-hardening. To get a harmon, you want shallow hardening. You want, it to be, you want the clay to be able to slow down the, the quench just enough that it doesn't harden underneath. You can't... This is just... And, and I just, I read this, I just thought, Kev, who is this? Because it was on your, well, you were commenting on it, so I blamed you, really. Yeah, but, no, I, yeah. but, no, but if you're a beginner, if you're a beginner yeah. and you read this, it sounds great. Like, it sounds fantastic. But uh, honestly, just, you need to be able it has to. Zero, yeah, look, look, it has basically, whoever the person is might be a fucking um, skilled person in metallurgy, but they don't have a fucking idea about W2 in knife making. That's as far as it goes with that. But you're right. People read this stuff and then go, holy shit, I don't want to do knife making because that's fucking well. That's just, <laughs> and then the, the next part of the conversation that went on with that thread was um, he was quenching in AquaQuench, which is something that I tested for you guys a while ago and had really good results, especially with hardness. Um, I, was, I was getting the hardness of W2, um, you know, consistent, consistently well above um, 66 Rockwell at quench. And then that sort of took a tangent with heaps of people saying to me, oh, should I avoid it, blah, blah, blah. And no, the answer is no, don't avoid it. But as I've said to a couple of people who have sent, you know, on that particular thread and to me directly, if you're going to use a, a new product like AquaQuench, which is the synthetic additive to water, be prepared for shit to snap. Like you're, gonna, you're trying something new. And, you know, the clay, 
application on my W2 knives when I'm using the AquaQuench changes and the, the whole process just changes and you squeeze the sphincter when you quench because although it's got a synthetic additive in it, it's still water and it's going to quench that sucker really hard. It, it's but, flying, what you're doing is flying as close to the wire as you can to get the best possible yeah. harm on. You've, 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 sprink, you've sprinkled a little bit of softness into water, hoping that it's not going to do what it seems to do. But if you're having issues with it, just buy some K-Quench and, and, and do it in K-Quench, but follow the heat treat recipe. So, so for, the, for the beginners out there, W2 is, w start, does stand for water quench steel, and you'll hear it all over the internet. I quenched it in water and it cracked. Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> it's... Knives, yeah. knife section <laughs> steel in water is going to crack, okay? And so there's a lot of things you can do to mitigate that. One is what's called an interrupted quench where you go in, come out, and then go into oil, go into water real quick and go into oil. <coughs> and, and this uh, aqua quench is about the, the, the better you get that quench in terms of the, the quicker you get it without it cracking, the higher the hardness, the better the harm on, the more likely it is to crack though. And that's, that's the yeah. reality. Yeah, I made, I made, uh, shit, I think it was what, uh, I, well, I, I did over 20 similar blades when I did the testing um, for you, and I did um, like 10 at whatever percentage it was, and then I did the other 10, I think it was a 12% ratio, which is the sweet spot I found for those knives. I made two chef knives straight after I did that testing, and both of the fucking things cracked. And I was like kicking myself, going, fuck, I just did... 20 knives without one single knife cracking both at like i think it was like eight i think i ran the gauntlet and did like eight percent initially and then went up to 12 and and you know shit myself at the eight percent that everyone was going to snap and they didn't so then i was like yeah 12 is the magic mark which i still think it is but <laughs> I, made, I made those two you know longer thinner blades quenched them and it was probably because they were longer and thinner mm. too thin for the too thin for the medium kicked myself in the pants i should have uh, done more post heat treat grinding rather than um, pretending I was doing stainless and, and getting them thinner. Or but, just, you know, just gone into K, which is a yeah, fast oil. Or gone into K. Which is a fast or, quench oil. What I've done is um, um, best of both worlds there. On the, I think the last one I did was an interrupted quench into aqua quench, then into K quench, so hot K quench. So I was like, fuck it, I'll go with both. <laughs> and it worked. Well, yeah. But Bert, it'll, it'll Bert, I was talking yes, about, you know, we meant, we meant, no, it was Kevin, not Corin. Um, <laughs> listen, we can't see your face, Mert, but I bet you're hocking shit on us now. <laughs> um, but Mert, when I was bought my first lot of the Takafu steel, I was yeah. talking to Mert about it because he's done a lot of it. And one of the things he said, it didn't matter about the grinding. It didn't matter about like heat treat. Uh, sorry, it didn't matter about the grinding. It didn't matter about the finish. All Mert said to me, was get your fucking K quench at the right temperature before you quench it. That's all he said. Get your fucking K quench at the right temperature. And it's like, all right, well, the rest is written down. You know, there's there's many recipes, but there's like some from Takifu or uh, that state what to do. So I went into the Paragon and then I heated the shit up up to the temperature that Mert was saying for the um, K quench. And I quenched the blades and they came out absolutely awesome. You know, they were hard. No cracks, no warping, no issues. So that's a part of it. I can just make sure you're doing it in the right thing at the right temperature. Yeah. It's it's never gotten easier to get information. If you have any questions in regards to heat treatment, go on to Kevin Cash's website. 
Yes. Yeah, he has all this information written down. Just follow it, okay? If he's if he says, uh, I'm soaking quarter-inch blade for 10 minutes, and if you're doing half the size of it, you might have to decrease your soaking time. But other than that, use the temperatures, use the soaking times. Okay, yeah. you know, don't be don't be ass cold. Don't be asking questions and not using your recommendation. I stopped giving. <laughs> What's it called? Sorry. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> what? They are called ask cold. Ask cold. <laughs> ask cold. I, I ask cold. Oh, ask cold. Yeah. Right. Sorry. We do ask cold. Yeah. <laughs> they, they keep asking for recommendation, but they do whatever the fuck they want to do anyway. So I stopped giving recommendation. I'm not yeah. bothering with it. Hey guys, <laughs> hey, I want to quench 5200. What should I do? Do this, do that. Uh, yeah, I just did this anyway. Then you're like, you know what? I'm not, I'm not sharing anything. Waste of my time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and and that's it, mate. It's never been easier to find the right information. You just have to be sure of your sources. Uh, and and if you're asking on Facebook, you're going to get 20 answers, and yes, some of them are going to be right, and some of them are going to be wrong. And you're still going to have to figure out which is which. Like, that's the problem. That's that's my biggest problem that I see all the time is people asking and I just shake my fucking head. I don't even comment anymore because it's not worth the argument with people that know. The other day I'm reading a post where they're saying they can tell the carbon content by the sound it makes when they hit it. Like, no, how about the one... What How the about fuck? the ones they claim they can lick the carbon, they can lick it and taste the carbon? To be fair, Mert, that was me. <laughs> it was, actually. <laughs> <laughs> that was in Japan. <laughs> Somebody said, we've found some steel. We're going to send it to Corin to find out what it is. I said, oh, it's destructive testing. I'll have to break a bit off and chew it up, taste it and figure it out. I can taste how much carbon's in it. Something like that, wasn't it, Kev? Yeah, that's where we found that bit of steel at Inseki, oh, Inseki. next to the river. <laughs> and I was like, hey, Corin, come and give this a lick and tell me if I could take this home and use the mate knives. <laughs> and then we posted something on Facebook and fucking people were believing us. It's like, oh, man, this, the world's hot. Do a spark like, test, they said. Just... Do a spark test. I'm like, what am I going to – oh, whatever, whatever. We could drag it on a rock. That might give some sparks. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. That's funny. It's funny though. Like I said, when you get these assholes on uh, it's, uh, Facebook or Instagram, for that matter, and they spend like they they type out a fucking seventeen paragraph long essay question, and if they just type two keywords into Google, they'll probably find Kevin Cashin's heat treat reference or uh, what still to use for what knife guide, and answer the question before they have to write four pages of, of stuff so you know uh, they, they're the ones i start reading i'll go no nah, i'll just leave that to someone else to answer just keep not scrolling. enough time in the day yeah I... just keep scrolling just keep scrolling <laughs> whatever just go with what works people if you're listening to this podcast you we're going to make your life smarter right find something that works and go with it don't go with something because it's cheap like this so the other day, there's a guy built his forge and he's made his his refractory out of some perlite and some vermiculite and oh. some, some cement and some sand. If that worked, we would all fucking do it. All right? Yeah. It's just that fucking simple. It doesn't. So get the right thing. Save yourself a whole lot of time and trouble and spend a little bit of money. It doesn't. It's not even that expensive to get something that works. 
KO wall and some side night. No, it's not hard. No. And you know what? We were figuring this shit out back in people before my time in the industry were figuring this stuff out before you've got every opportunity now. Like you can go to there's numerous shops that are servicing our industry. There's there's so much opportunity now to purchase the right thing and to get the right thing for the job. And I'm not saying you shouldn't have a go at making stuff yourself. I'm all for it. But don't make stuff yourself out of rubbish that's not going to work because you're just wasting your time. Yeah, my, my mate made it. It looks good. <laughs> yeah. Well, what me like you're talking about something, you're talking about heat treatment or, oh, uh, but I made the knife. It's good. No, you're talking a, about heat treatment. Just, just no. on a group the other day, like this is what's been happening when I'm traveling. I'm just surfing groups and getting frustrated. There's a guy <laughs> making knives out of railway spikes. Now, this is an age-old argument in the industry, and I'm not going to go into it. If you like doing it, great. But he's saying he's crunching <coughs> in water and tempering, and they're cutting out perfect every time. And we said, how do you know they're perfect? He said, well, I don't have a Rockwell tester. I've got... Well, you've got no way to measure it. So how the fuck do you know they're perfect? They're perfect because you think they are. Well, that's fine. Say that. But they're not fucking perfect. I've tried. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> Today, we have the youngest member of the Gamaco Artisan Supplies team, Lucas. Lucas, how old are you? Seven. So you're seven years old. And what do you do at Gamaco Artisan Supplies? Well, what do you do? Don't ask me. You don't know your own job. <laughs> what? Okay, cut to the chase. What do you want to be when you grow up, Lucas? Knife maker. You want to be a knife maker. And what's the best way to get into knife making? Gamaco Supplies. Gamaco Artisan Supplies. This, this kid's good. And if you want a discount on knife-making kits, beginner knife-making kits at Gamaco Artisan Supplies, we're going to use a discount code down under 10. So if you want to be a budding knife, you're a budding knife-maker like Lucas here, um, by all means, jump on, uh, have a look at our knife-making kits, use the code down under 10 and it should take 10% off for you to purchase uh, the best materials and gear in the industry. So, there you go. Thank you. Mm. So, there you go. That's anyway. Yeah, the silence. I'll just, follow, I'll just follow. I'll just share my uh, preheat treatment advice. Yeah. So, if I'm doing Damascus oh, knife. Are we still yeah. going with that? <laughs> well, you guys, man. I'll just go follow real quick. If I do stainless, I fully heat treat the whole thing. I grind post-heat treat. If I'm doing a Damascus, I pretty much leave the scale on till I do thermal cycling because if I take it off, there's also decarb. So again, if you're doing carbon, try and take as much as material so you're close to the final shape, especially if you're forging. That's the whole idea. Yeah. Yep. That's it for me. But if you take it too thin, you're probably going to screw something up. That's a lesson learned. That's the other side of thing. If you fuck something up, just take take the lesson from it. Otherwise, you know, it's that agile thing. It's a mistake if it happens once and it's just <coughs> you're an idiot if it does it a hundred times because you've tried it a hundred times. Yeah. No, I don't, don't know. Do I just made that and expect a different result. We, um, mm. We've got some new heat treating things here. I, ha I got a Dewar. It's a long story, but I ended up with a secondhand Dewar. So we've, um, we filled up with liquid nitrogen through a friend of a friend. And um, the guys have been using that to do some testing here with... Uh, 
cryo. We'll probably be offering cryo as a service in future. I, I don't know where they're going with it, but at the moment we're just freezing shit and having fun with it. At, <laughs> at some point we'll probably use that, uh, uh, be able to offer it as a service for those that don't have a jewer. The other thing is we've got quench plates now for the first time. which is uh, Are you selling right? them? Yeah, we're selling them. All right. We've got them. What size are they? Oh, I don't know. Fucking quench plate size. What the sort of fucking answer I expect to get off Facebook, mate? For fuck's sake. Look at it. You covered this in the previous episode. He has people working for him. Just call Phil. <laughs> don't be one of them, guys. Hey, Corey, what's the size of him? I don't know. <laughs> I saw him in a box. I didn't even know we had them until they were. I was walking through the warehouse and I thought, fuck, I'll steal a pair of them fuck <laughs> 300 no 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 they were about... i will i will take a pair of them home and test that they're fucking up to the gamaco standard product testing, what you thought. Product testing. <laughs> 350 mil long 100 mil wide about 25 mil thick just don't quote me on Perfect. that but something like that yeah no very good and and let's go on a side note to that when people talk about getting quench plates uh and how they set them up um Chad, Tristone Blades, put the best situation in. You get a quick-release wood vise, and you screw your fucking plates in there. Preferably, you buy two sets of quench plates, and you have one set screwed to your vise and one set that sit free-floating in there so that when you do your first set, you take that out and cool them down, whether you put them into your um, ice mixture or not doesn't matter. <coughs> then you also have then your second pair, which should still be cold enough, um, to go straight into heat treating your second knife that you have in the kiln. Yeah. So definitely, definitely, if you're going to do stainless, get on board and buy some of these um, quench plates, but also make sure you set it up. I'll have you take a photo of mine. I've got my um, Bodgy Brothers thing that works. I welded the um, quick release vise directly under my Paragon. So I open the door, pull out the steel, close the door, put the, put the knife into the... Um, quench plates within fucking, let's say, three or four seconds, maybe. Yeah, perfect. You know. And you yeah, don't need to no... go too hard with it either. Alistair Phillips just throws them on the floor, puts the blade puts the blade yeah. on and then puts the other one on top and stands on it. Yeah. That's it. That's about 15 kilos of pressure. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Hi, Al. How I'm you a, if, if I stand on my blade, it'll probably like, act like a yeah. rock. Murd, he treats his blade, stands on it, and comes out and can't tell the difference between the foil and the blade. <laughs> <laughs> Laminated. Laminated. <laughs> and Murd, you've got a new set of, uh, new set of fucking... File guides. Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have had private messages asking about uh, Big Mert's file guides. <laughs> Big Mert. <laughs> Henning Wilkinson, he hit me up. He's like, oh, you're trying to make up something the size, like something small someplace else? I'm like, no, mate, it's in the... <laughs> It's it's the size of the size of the file guide. I'm not trying to make up with anything. So a year ago, I sat down with Bjorn. I was talking to Bjorn about uh, getting a big file guide made. So he made them a limited. He made, he made like a few of them, and he has them some up for sale. And I got mine, and I'm looking forward to grind some shoulders. Yeah. I had one of I had I had one of the people contact me 
asking, has Mert been feeling insecure? (laughs) 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 And then, has Mert been hanging out with you too much, Big Kev? (laughs) You legitimately have a reason to have that prefect. I bet that's I bet that's Brad Heathcote. No, I bet you. Oh, <laughs> no, no, different no. one. <laughs> no, different one. He said you legitimately have a reason, uh, have the prefix attached to the name through size, uh, but there are a bunch of makers named Kevin. There's only one Mert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hard to miss, right? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> and then he said that'd be like calling me extremely good-looking person. Mention won't mention the name. That makes sense. <laughs> Uh, I just thought I was getting this shit without even knowing that Mert had the big Mert coming out. <laughs> I'm like, what are these people going on about? Has Mert been feeling insecure? <laughs> and then I go on and see the big Mert, and I was having a laugh. Ah, <laughs> uh, funny. But yeah, anyway, it looks like a good good thing. For, it'll be good for for some people, particularly people that uh, make the bigger knives like yourself. Yeah, seventy watts huge. Yeah. Plus, the carbide face is huge. Like, you can line up to grind this grinder so easy. The smaller ones, like, they feel like little fiddler trying to line up perfectly with this. Such a huge area. You just, like, smashed on the disc grinder and it just matches perfectly. It's, it's a lot easier compared to other ones. Yeah, fair enough, mate. Fair enough. <coughs> so, what else is new out there in the world? What have we seen? I've not seen anything really innovative uh, in the knife making game at the moment. Um, like I said, it was fun. It was good to see um, Henning pop up a post the other day using plasticine to check out his um, patterns for his Damascus. Uh, I don't know whether he actually was doing that or he was just having a playing with plasticine for time out. Um, but you know, he got some patterns on there, and it shows people that you know you go back to the basics of you don't have to forge weld actual steel and screw it up. Go and use uh, some plasticine. Steal it off your kids. Play-Doh for the American. Play-Doh. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Anyone, anyone else seen anything that's taken their fancy? Apart no. from the big mirror. Apart from the big mirror. <laughs> no, I just want to use my foot switch on my disc sander and, and make a knife. So that's, <laughs> that's it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be taking notes when I come up to your place. I reckon that's going to be awesome. Mate, oh, you're going to love that. how bodgy it is. I'm going to put up a thing on Instagram. It's it's just a couple of, an old switch out of a printer, um, a couple of nails, some fucking cable from somewhere, just bodged it into the um, into the VFD, which was a, a sample VFD that we ran for a little while here when we were testing. And yeah, there we go. So does it have, does it have the little sticker that says um, people with cardiac implants shouldn't use this switch? Uh, no. <laughs> No, I don't have anything safety on it, as a matter of fact. As a matter of fact, last night I was reading a post on safety. I nearly commented on Facebook because I then I thought, no, I'm just going to get shot down. But I was on the phone to my son and I was looking at a bracket that I'd made and I thought, fuck, that's a bit sharp. Like I might cut myself on it, you know, safety conscious, right? So I've gone and got the angle grinder. I'm on the phone to my son and I couldn't find a safety glasses. I know where they are, Kev. They're all there. You know where they are. But it was like five steps away. And I thought, fuck it, I'll just close my eyes and do it. So I closed my eyes, got the angle grinder and whipped it around the corner of this piece of metal. And something flew off and hit me right in the eyelid. If my eyes were open, I would have been fucked. But I closed them. (laughs) That's it. If you're going to do dodgy shit, close your fucking eyes and do it. (laughs) Mate, fucking up there. Smart. Smart. That's what I am. 
So well, my son was he's a he's a sheet metal worker and he was into me on the phone. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Get some glasses. Like <laughs> anyway, whatever. Oh man, I had a close call yesterday. The cutoff disc of a Dremel just broke and bounced off my goggles. Yeah, yeah, I've had that happen. It's not pretty. No, mm. I was like, oh shit. They really What were you what were you using that on, mate? What were you cutting? Something exciting? My, my nails. <laughs> no, I was I was cutting a little a little bronze, and I was too lazy to go to the go to the band. So I'm like, I'll just do it with the drummer, like, ping. <laughs> and then you look around, going, "What the fuck?" Yeah. <laughs> what about that? What about beginner tips? We got any beginner tips this week? Don't cut your nails with a fucking Dremel. <laughs> Wait till you're experienced. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, uh, I, have, I, have, I, have a, I have I have a list, guys. I have a I have a great beginner tip. Okay, for okay. I'm I'm going to give a list of the stainless steel that you can treat in the forge without aluminum foil. Okay, I'm sorry, without stainless steel heat treatment foil. I'm going to give you the whole list. Okay, get your, pen, get your pens out, people. Come on. Get your, get your pen ready. Are you ready? Okay. None. <laughs> get, get yourself get yourself a tool steel, uh, tool foil, heat treating foil. And those forges, they don't hold the temperature. Unless you have a drum forge, but even the drum forge are not great for high temperatures. Just get yourself a kiln, guys. We did a we did a, a promotion for we we just covered the paragon. Just get yourself a kiln, guys. You cannot heat treat stainless knife without a foil in the forge without having a soft or hard spots or too much decarb. That's all. I think yeah. the, the biggest change that happened in the Australian sort of industry seemed to be when everybody started measuring. You know, everybody thinks it's fine and it. You know, it seems to be a fine. I put a file on it, it skates. But once you start actually, <coughs> once you own a hardness tester and you start to measure what you're doing, it does change the way you feel about it, doesn't it? Yeah, sure does. So, yeah. All right, happy days. And, and there's heaps of hardness testers around, heaps of people have got them. And, and it comes back to finding someone in your local area that um, you get on well with, you have hammer-ins and you can hopefully they'll help you out with testing your blades. You don't have to go out and buy one. Even even hardness files are better than nothing. Yeah. But I, guess, I guess I didn't have a beginner tip, but my one's going to be before you measure hardness, make sure you've got the decarb off. Yeah. 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 Tip. Absolutely. Because that outer layer of the blade that's been exposed to atmosphere loses its carbon and it'll measure soft. It'll measure like, could measure 40 Rockwell, and you'll say, what did I do wrong? I mean, I've got this great hardness <laughs> tester. What's going wrong? And then if you just grind a little bit off and remeasure it, sixty-two. <clears throat> so that's my that's my beginner tip now. And I actually just did some heat treating and testing on that very thing that you just talked about, um, just to satisfy my own curiosity again. I thought, fuck, I'm going to heat, I'm going to hardness test this piece uh, with its decarb on it, and yeah, it came out at like fifty-seven. And I was like, well, that's that's pretty disappointing. Chucked it on the surface grinder, whipped off, you know, a, a fucking 0 0.01 of a millimetre and popped it back on there and it was 65. Yeah. 
And I was like, shit, yeah, that's awesome. Then I tempered it down uh, and came out at a nice even 60, which was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, that's good. Good score. Yeah, I was happy with it. <coughs> well, I don't know if I've got any beginner tips other than, um, nah, nah, nothing. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Gonna, up. What, what I'm going to do, sorry, what I am going to do, because um, I, I was talking to a fella um, when I saw one of his knives online and I noted to him that if you can see scratches on the blade on a photo on Facebook, then the scratches are probably going to be pretty big when you have a look at that blade and in things. So I've been on that dude's case about getting his hand sanding um, better, not not leaving scratches and seeing what he's doing, he's improving. But I'm going to put up a little video just of like the finishing um, passes that I do. When I'm, I do most of my hunting knives, uh, 600 grit finish, I use Rhino wet and then I do a little technique at the end for the passing, for the finishing, and it makes a big difference. And that's where, you know, a lot of people out there obviously either already know or they're doing their own thing that works, but there's some of the guys coming through and you look at the final scratches on a blade and you go, yeah, like I give you two minutes and that thing will look 100% better. Yep. So I'm going to post up a video at some point and put it onto our uh, Facebook page. And then Mert might be able to put it onto the um, Instagram page. But don't expect too much yeah. from us. No. <laughs> don't expect it to be a quality job. <laughs> Edited well. Have good sound. No swearing. Not family friendly. Okay. <laughs> so for all the kids that have listened to this episode, um, yeah, we'll, we'll give some definitions uh, down the track of some of the words. But anyway, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> When mummy and daddy yeah. are loving each other very much. These are just yeah. These are just words. These are just words daddy says when mummy's not around, yeah. <laughs> and probably what mummy says when daddy is around. But speaking of mummy being around, and going back to an initial topic that we spoke about was full time knife makers and the secret of oh, being yeah. a full time knife maker. <laughs> The biggest, yeah, the biggest selling mug we ever made was the Gamaco <laughs> promotional mug that said, behind every full-time knife maker is an understanding partner with a real job. <laughs> I tell you, I gave, Ro one, I gave my wife one, Ro one of those. And I'll tell you what, you touch that mug, you're going to end up with a broken fucking body part. <laughs> my brother-in-law brother came and stayed with us and used that mug. And Ro comes up to me going, he used my mug. <laughs> Well, fucking talk to him about that shit. It's pretty fucking obvious it's your mug. <laughs> yeah, they've they've yeah. been pretty popular, but anyway, yeah. yeah. Well, that's probably a show, fellas. Is I there think anything so. else you guys got? <coughs> nah. nah, not till next well, time. We got we got more episodes coming up, so we, we're here, guys. We're here. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. We're yeah. back. Yeah, well, for a little while at least. Yeah. How hey, you want to? Um, Nah, don't worry about it. Don't worry. <laughs> you can't leave people on a cliffhanger. Maybe we're supposed to leave people on a cliffhanger. Yeah, that's it. We'll tune in next time and I might tell you what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks again thanks for listening. Thanks, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 Bye.